This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined today by Brittany Williams. This episode first ran in April 2022. It's a lively conversation with Brooke Jackson, MD, a board-certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon. She's the founder of her Durham, North Carolina practice called Skin Wellness Dermatology Associates and the adoptive mother of three active kids. Dr. Jackson is the author of a recent book called Skin Care for Runners. That plus the fact she's completed numerous marathons and triathlons makes her an ideal expert guest for this episode, in which we're going to cover a host of skin-related TMI topics that relate to runners. Figured that, you know, now that it's summer, there's so many skin issues that can arise, sunburn, chafing, rashes, and more, and decided it was time to revisit the topic. But this is the part where Brittany comes in. This is new intro chit-chat because so much has changed since the last time you all have heard on this show from Brittany, because Brittany, as you know, you've become a mother since then. So welcome, new mom, Brittany. I am truly another mother runner now. Like, it truly (laughs) can stake my claim. Yes. Uh, Well, thank you for the intro. Yes, yes. Well, it's lovely to see you and to be talking with you. And oh, my goodness. And Blake is just the most beautiful baby girl ever, ever, ever. Thank you. Thank you. So congratulations. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. I definitely, I was talking to my husband last night and I was like, you hear people say like, you will think your baby is the cutest ever, but Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, whatever. But like, (laughs) nope. (laughs) I mean, there are definitely some moments like when she, I mean, I think we can have an honest conversation here. She was born two months early when Mm -hmm. they're that small. She's three pounds. When you're that small, Mm-hmm. It becomes okay. This isn't cute. This is like I. This is like you know. She's not supposed to look like this. I feel like just now, you know, she's like just like okay. This is what she was supposed to look like, and like it looks real cute. And I can't stop staring at photos of you when I should be <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> That's the stage I'm in. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, because she made her debut in this world. We're coming up on four months. Yes, yeah. So she was due May 26th, and she was born April 4th. So little girl just wanted to be in on the action um, mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Which yeah. I mean is fine. Hindsight's 2020, so it's fine. It's easy for me to say like, yeah, it's great now. But um, I developed preeclampsia 
which is elevated blood pressure uh, in pregnancy. And I found out that I had a mild case on Monday and by Monday night, Monday morning, and by Monday night it it developed into a severe case. Mm -hmm. And I delivered her on Tuesday via emergency C-section, but everything was fine. No complications. She was a, you know, a trooper. She was just a feed and grow preemie. So she spent 30 days in the NICU, um, but no issues, didn't need oxygen, none of the Mm. things. She just kind of, you know, like I said, just wanted to come to the party early, which, you know, early bird gets the worm maybe? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) There's a positive in there somewhere. I call them the bonus months. We just had a bonus bonus two months. months. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because like all the milestones and stuff, they, they still follow the baby's gestational age so like even Mm -hmm. though she's four months she's really only developmentally more so aligned with a two-month-old and i really probably more of a three-month-old but so really you just are kind of waiting to start that game of like oh her first coos and her first smile so they really do feel like bonus months like you're just practicing (laughs) until like the game clock really starts it's kind of what it feels like an extra long (laughs) warm-up exactly (laughs) oh my gosh but boy it was so so relieved um i'm grateful that blake did not face any problems but yeah but you had some hurdles that i mean you ended up being the main patient you told me when I yeah. saw when I, oh, when yeah. I saw you in person and met Blake mm-hmm. for the first time yeah 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 so I so I first of all yeah I knew what preeclampsia was I just thought it was high blood pressure but I didn't realize you know there is a pre-eclampsia it's two separate words eclampsia <laughs> which I'm like whoa blow my mind when the doctor told me that I'm like yeah that makes sense um and eclampsia is uh, you know it can cause strokes and seizures mm-hmm. for the mother. And the only way to um, overcome that is to deliver the placenta. So it's mainly derived from not the baby itself, but from the placenta. But obviously, if you deliver the placenta, you're delivering the baby. So mm-hmm. a lot of women, you know, they deliver the baby in placenta and it goes away immediately. Some women, um, the blood pressure and the risk of, you know, seizures and strokes that goes away immediately. Some women, it takes a little while. Some women don't develop preeclampsia until postpartum, which is really shocking to me. Mm -hmm. But I stayed in the hospital for a week and my blood pressure just was very elevated for a very long time. But I think it finally got to the point to where it wasn't probably where the doctors wanted it to be, but it was very clear that like me staying in the hospital in such a high stress environment, not getting any sleep because they're checking your blood pressure every 15 to 30 minutes, even throughout the night for, for a week. I mean, for a week getting like like my sleep in the hospital was worse than my sleep with a newborn at home. (laughs) I'm like, wait, I get to bring home a newborn and she sleeps at least for an hour straight. Like, great. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, it makes waterboard you know kind of sound like yes, a picnic yes. getting woken no, truly, up that often yes like truly <laughs> like my husband and I were like this is torture every mm-hmm. 30 minutes so the it was if I had a high blood pressure for an hour for the first hour the, the nurse came in every 15 minutes and then for the next hour it was every 30 minutes and then for mm-hmm. an hour 
every hour and then it went to every four hours. But every time that you have a high blood pressure reading, it goes back to the 15 minute mark. Reset the clock. Yeah. The shock clock. Wow. Exactly. So eventually my doctors just said, we trust you. You're obviously coming to the NICU. You'll be coming to the NICU every day to see your baby anyways. Like they just sent Mm -hmm. me home because they were like, we think that we're stressing you out. (laughs) And sure enough, I went home and I, I never had a high blood pressure reading from the moment I went home. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I had some, it was mild. It wasn't like I was kind of in the Mm -hmm. medium level. I wasn't out of the weeds, but I never Mm -hmm. really spiked again, which was great. Um, I had some C-section, not complications, but I cough. Fun fact, you can't really cough when you have a C-section. These are things I don't think about. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, you have a C-section. Okay, you're going to cut my abs. I'm going to be sore. But you don't think about like the fact that the seatbelt like literally hits you right where your C-section scar is. And I'm driving Mm -hmm. to the NICU every day and like speed bumps are awful. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. It's like We got a lot of them here poorly. I don't know. I didn't even think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so when I was in the hospital, I had a massive coughing fit and I like busted oh. a blood vessel. And so I got a hematoma over my C-section. Mm. So yeah, Blake was great. I <laughs> was str- I was struggling. I oh. was struggling. But we made it. We made it to the other side. Shoot, shoot. So how has it been to come back to fitness? I mean, you being a fitness professional, and I know you're seeing a PT for some yep. issues. So how's it yes. all working out? So I would say it's it's a roller coaster, I think, like everything else is during postpartum. So I started walking pretty quickly post C-section, like the next day per my doctor's request. He's like, get up, walk around, don't wallow in your self-pity in a bed Mm -hmm. get up Mm -hmm. move um because Mm -hmm. that's gonna help you get back and i'm so thankful he did i walked probably you know exclusively for probably the first six to eight weeks i really didn't do much at all Mm -hmm. and then i started seeing i had been seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist during pregnancy um continued to see her postpartum so started working on some breath work things started working on some core functionality things as my c-section scar started to um heal Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to the point now where I can pretty much do everything except the way that I kind of have approached it and the way that I approach kind of pre-postnatal as a fitness trainer is the first things that you you stopped doing in pregnancy are the last things that you should add back in. Mm-hmm. So my initial mm-hmm. workouts postpartum looked very similar to what I did, you know, the last week of March right before I delivered Blake. Like they those mm-hmm. workouts looked exactly the same and then mm-hmm. they kind of work in that order. So the things that I that I, at the very end, I had to stop doing that. Those are the first things I started adding in. So like lateral movement. A reverse taper. Yes, exactly. Exactly a reverse taper. That's a perfect (laughs) word for it. So like lateral movements, for example, got really hard for my pelvis. I, Mm. I added those back in pretty easily. So I'm now at the point to where jumping is feels good and fine i don't feel like my pelvis is about to fall you know out which is a huge win um and so uh no leaking which is you know a big a big deal um Mm -hmm. so now i'm finally at the point to where i want to go running again which i've been Mm -hmm. itching to do but Mm -hmm. i'm gonna see a hip specialist today and if Mm -hmm. she approves me to run like I'm going immediately afterwards. Like <laughs> see you lady. Like the appointment. <laughs> like 
like I'm going immediately after literally bringing my running sh- like I'll wear my running outfit to mm-hmm. the appointment yes. because like my husband's gonna have the baby so I'm just gonna take that he won't know do you know what I'm saying you got a hall like, pass man you're just, out yeah he won't know if I'm running or if I'm at the physical therapist I'm just gonna make oh, sorry, it sorry I had to wait long, a really long yeah, time really honey long time. Mm. yeah the insurance wouldn't go through yeah exactly <laughs> no he knows because I'm, I'm so giddy about running now I now I hope the now I hope the appointment's in a good part of town for running, you know? <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Good. It's in Selwood. So it'll oh, be good. Oh yeah. Okay, good. It'll be very good. Um so I think for me, I'm just excited, I think, to feel good again. I have zero expectation for this run to feel normal. And it's not even really I shouldn't even call it a run. It's gonna be a walk jog. And I don't even say a walk run, I say a walk jog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because I think it's really easy to Especially with running, I feel like sometimes you go for a run and everything feels fine and then you stop and you're like, oh, no, that I went too fast, too far, too whatever, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm definitely going to listen to my body, but I've got like my running shoes strapped on. I'm like, give me my noon. Give me my like fanny pack with all of my things. Like, you know, all of my gadgets that like, you know, you don't need for a 15 minute walk jog. Do you know you what I'm dusted saying? dusted off. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But I haven't used any of my run gadgets in so long that I'm like, let's load up like this is a 15 mile run. Like, do I need a gel? Do you know? Hydration vest. I'm sick. I'm good. Yeah, for my 15 minute walk jog, just because I can't. Where's my glide? I might just because I can't. Oh well, I have to. You know me. I have to glide up whether I'm going for a one minute walk or not. You are you are bedeviled by chafing. You are that. I really Uh, am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Oh my my goodness. Well, so delighted to have you back in the fold, and um, I just love that you're able to make time for this and weave this in so that we have oh, new chit ch- new intro chit chat to one of the first ever episodes that you hosted. So yes. let's take a brief break to hear from the brands that enable us to bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. Our conversation with Dr. Jackson will kick off shortly. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Well, Dr. Jackson, uh, welcome back to the show. So glad you could join us again. Thank you. So glad to be here and happy to invited me. Dr. Jackson, I'm really excited to meet you. I mean, virtually, I suppose, but and I have like a ton of my own questions about skincare uh, as a runner, but tell us a little bit about your running and your triathlon background. Um, so I am a board certified dermatologist and because I have been really spending a good deal of my um, life running around to different training programs and picking up and moving, um, I often found myself in cities where I knew no one. And so um, I really started running marathons because I saw a little ad when I was in Texas to run a marathon to change your life. And I'm like, I will never do that. Um, (laughs) I grew up playing field hockey, you know, sort of doing some short stuff, but I'm like marathon, that's way too long, but this might be a social opportunity for me to kind of get out, meet some people. And so I joined this group and um, 
six months later, I found myself at the start of the Houston Marathon going, what in the hell am I getting ready to do? Um, And I did it and I loved it. Although, you know, certainly I had really flat feet and no one told me that flat feet fat people with flat feet really probably shouldn't be running long distance, but I did it anyway. So I ended up with IT band issues and, you know, physical therapy and blah, blah, blah. And so um, got back on my feet and um, ended up running nine more marathons. And so triathlons, I grew up swimming, actually. So I was on a swimming team when I was in elementary school. And so swimming is pretty easy for me. Running, you know, I was already training for running um, for races. And so I will share with you, I'm probably the laziest triathlon trainee ever <laughs> because literally, <laughs> literally, I usually do a triathlon while I'm still training for a marathon. I already know how to swim. I've never really enjoyed the bike. Mm-hmm. And so often I will like pull my bike out of the garage the weekend of the race. And, like I should put some air in my tires. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that mentality because that's how I am about running. Uh, and that that's how we roll with the triathlons. <laughs> so I um, I'm much more of a uh, runner rather than a triathlete for sure. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about your book, Skincare for Runners. Uh, I'd love to hear about how it came about. I heard you described it to Sarah in an email as your pandemic passion project, which I'm really intrigued by. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I've been running marathons for a while and I've been a dermatologist for a while and I've always had a lot of athletes in my practice, whether they be, you know, amateur athletes, high school athletes, I've had some Olympians and some professional athletes. And so I've, I, I sort of get that mentality um, where, you know, it's very similar to having to go to med school where you pound it out, you work hard and, you know, eventually it pays off. Um, and so with the advice that I've been giving to, given to my patients over the years, I find myself saying the same things, especially as it relates to skin, sun protection, managing dermatologic conditions while you're sweating or swimming. And so I'm like, I should just put this in a book. And so so this has been on my mind for a very long time. And, you know, I think COVID and pandemic has done a lot of soul searching, or hopefully a lot of people have done some soul searching over the last couple of years. Um, But this is one of the things I'm like, you know what, let me just pound this out. And I did. And here we have it. So um, it was actually published Last August, it's on Amazon and also on my website, joylessskin.com, and it's a bestseller. I love that. Nice, 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 nice. Well, we'll definitely have a link to it in our show notes. So, all right, as I mentioned in the intro, it's TMI month for Another Mother Runner, so we're going to go there. Um, So as we, we often do, we ask our Facebook community for questions And I tried to group the questions into kind of loose categories. So we're going to kick things off with what I'm calling skin bumps. I like that. Okay. So Courtney tells us, I find that even as a 40 year old, I get back knee after a sweaty run. I try and shower as soon as possible after running, but sometimes I have other things that get in the way, like getting the kids off to school. What kind of shower gel could I use to help with back and shoulder blemishes? So I would say there's not a specific type of shower gel. It's really just getting the sweat and grime off. And so when you think about it, it's on the back and chest is actually not so much acne, it's more folliculitis. And so what that means, itis means inflammation. And so it is inflammation of the hair follicle that is really triggered by 
bacteria and yeast. And so very, very, very common in athletes. I've seen it a lot in people who often sit for a long period of time with their back pressed up against a chair. Mm. So, you know, as an athlete, you're hot, you're sweaty. We have bacteria and yeast normally as our skin flora. You put those two things together and you're sort of like the oven that's producing this little yeast factory. <laughs> and so what I recommend um for patients is make sure that you are number one wearing some sort of a wicking fabric you know cotton everybody loves cotton but the problem with cotton is it doesn't um it it holds the moisture next to your skin and so you end up with a sticky yucky shirt next to you so wicking fabric cool max dry fit under armor whatever brand you like wicks the moisture away from you so you're actually drier but also making sure that you bring a dry clean shirt if like if you have to go pick up the kids or run some errands get that wet stuff off of you so keep a dry shirt in your car get the wet one off even if your dry shirt is cotton that's fine at least you're no longer sitting in that sticky stuff mm-hmm. and then because this has been such an issue and a lot of people like yourself you have to run the errands and you don't get to a shower very quickly I actually developed a shower in a box. So I have a wipe that um, you can throw in your gym bag and it has a little bit of hypochlorous acid in it, which is antibacterial and anti-yeast. And you can just use that. It's pretty large. You can use it on your face, your back and your chest, and then you won't have to hit the shower so quickly. Nice. Nice. I have been on the injured list for almost two months and I have to say the skin on my body has gotten better in that amount of time. Um, as, as, and I haven't done nearly as much laundry. Um, so, so, all right. So Jillian writes, and there's, this is long cause then there's another one. So, um, Jillian writes, I get itchy slash stingy, bumpy slash scaly red patches at the outside corners of my eyes and under my nose. It's worst in the, in the East coast winter, but can happen any time of year. It's like my skin is reacting to my sweat and runny nose. I use a moisturizer twice a day to calm it down before I irritate it all over again, sweating. Any tips? Is there anything I can do to prevent it? And in perhaps a related question, Hildy wrote, when I run inside on the basement treadmill, I develop burns in various areas of my face, tip of the nose, under each eye, bottom of face. It turns into very dry spots over the course of a few days. Not sure what's going on. So just to me, it seemed like patchy bumps on face that are not acne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so a lot of that, um, um, you know, if you are sweating, think sweat is basically salt water. Mm-hmm. And so if you have salt water that is in contact with your relatively thin and otherwise sensitive skin, like around the eyes, around the mouth, then you're, those two things, those things together are asking for trouble. So it's irritation. Sweat, tears, kind of same deal. Very, very irritating. So Vaseline will be your best friend. Hmm. You can take a little bit of Vaseline and just do a little swipe under the eye and in the corner of the eye. And I recommend that also for, you know, some people who just tear when they sleep. They wake up and they have like this little stream of, you know, salt, dried salt on the side of their face. And so um, Vaseline can be helpful for that. Um, For the East Coast runner who's in the cold weather, I would actually, before you go out for a run, just take a thin coat of Vaseline and put it on your entire face. Mm-hmm. It functions also as a wind barrier and so and a moisturizer, so you can um, protect your skin from kind of wind burn as well as any issues that you're going to have with sweat. 
and moving on down the body, other other great uses for Vaseline. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use them in, air, in any area that tends to rub. And so like around the armpits, between the thighs, um, around the nipples, any kind of friction areas. So Vaseline, it's readily available. It's cheap and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, we did something similar to that when I was in, I ran cross country in college. We would run, rub Vaseline all over our bodies mm. when it was really cold. Yeah. Maybe it's just because we were Texas runners. I'm not sure. But it's like always, it was like an extra la- layer of like protection. Over, I don't know why we didn't just wear leggings. Yeah, exactly. But that was always the go-to choice. So I appreciate that, that was the answer. Moving on to the next uh, one. Jennifer- one of my- oh, good. Yeah, I was going to tell you just a funny story about Vaseline. So in one of my very first races as a novice runner, you know, you don't know things, right? And so you're running through the race and somebody, like, is holding this cardboard out and you think it's, like, goo or a snack or something. So you grab a handful of it. Oh, Oh, no. It was Vaseline. Oh, my It was Vaseline. It did not taste very good. So it's good to put on but not to ingest. Oh, goodness. (laughs) That. Oh, my my gosh. And did you just... The whole glob of it in one fell swoop? The whole glob. The oh, whole glob. gosh. Yeah. I'm going to gag a little bit just thinking about that's, it. That's, <laughs> like, as if the race isn't hard enough. Right. Oh, my right. goodness. Uh, next question. Jody confesses, I've been dealing with heat rash on my back. I immediately get out of workout clothes and shower, but it keeps reappearing. Any suggestions? Um, could be a couple of things. So, you know, everything we just talked about before as far as the wicking fabric, but in a heat rash, there's if it... So it looks like hives. Sometimes there is something called a physical urticaria. Urticaria is a medical term for hives. Mm. And people can develop hives just from being hot. People can develop hives from sweat, even being in contact with water. And so one of the things she may want to do before she goes, you know, most runs are scheduled. You don't just decide you're going to run 10 miles <laughs> so you know when you're going to do it. Um, but go ahead and take an antihistamine before. Um, one of the non-sedating antihistamines are all over the counter. Um, Claritin, Zyrtec, Allegra, just pick one. Um, but I would probably take one about 20 minutes before a run, and that might help. I wish I had that advice in college because I have, well, had, don't have any more heat and exercise-induced hives is what my doctor called yeah. it. Mm, so yeah. someone who was running yeah. 75 miles a week in Houston, Texas in the summer, heat and yeah. Exer- yeah. exercise-induced hives is an everyday situation. <laughs> and I would take a Benadryl yeah. afterwards, but it would just knock me out. Yeah. And so I wish someone would have yeah. told me, take non-drowsy beforehand, girl. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great advice. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The light bulb just went off. Right. I literally was just like, wow, okay, 10 years too late. <laughs> Shouldn't have done it beforehand. <laughs> well, it's never too late. So. It is. I can, I'll use it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of pollen yeah, here in Portland. Yeah, we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right. So, Tina took our request for TMI seriously when she told us a couple of years ago I had a skin tag on my lady parts. Never had one before or since anywhere, she points out. My GP said it was from rubbing when I exercised. I didn't believe her. I had it removed. So Tina's question, can running give your lady parts skin tags? <laughs> what are skin tags? Little, uh, well, I'll let the doctor. Okay. Why am I jumping <laughs> to answer that? <laughs> My gosh. Sarah was ready. Yeah. Sarah, oh. the ego. <laughs> All right, Tina. <laughs> um, so first, what is a skin tag? So a skin tag is really just like what it sounds. It's a completely benign growth. We usually see them in areas of friction 
in areas that are sort of increases. And so very commonly, I will see them around the neck. I see them in the armpits. You see them in the groin. You can see them under the breast. Now, I think it's just probably more coincidence mm. that um, most people start developing them and growing them in their late 20s, early 30s, and you get more as you have more birthdays. And so I, ref- I refer to them as the barnacles of life. Um, if you have them in an area, because they normally occur in areas of where skin folds or sort of in the creases, which would be in your thighs or in the underarms, what running may have done because you're moving is the additional friction may have caused it to become irritated. Mm. And so I can't say that running created this. I think it mm. probably was going to happen anyway. It's just running made it noticeable. Mm. They're not dangerous. Um, you'll get more as you have more birthdays. And, you know, when they bug you, you just stick them off. Yeah, I was thinking maybe after the show, I'll, I'll... I'll show Brittany a few of my skin tags. I... Hopefully not on your left parts. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't be doing yeah. that. Many things can happen to runners in the lady parts. There's so, there's so many things to like, I don't want to say worry about, but, and here's another day at to. 34, learn yet another thing to just cool skin tags, bring it on. Yeah. yeah. But you know, again, if you have anything and that's the way Vaseline can take care of it or, um, you know, if it's a little bit of a dangler, you know, just putting a Band-Aid, but then you get irritation from the Band-Aid. So taking it off is probably the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vaseline, again, can any place where you have friction, Vaseline mm-hmm. is your friend. Mm-hmm. And because of that, too, in the lady parts, I also tell people, you know, you're better off probably wearing like bike, biker type shorts as opposed to the little bungee ones. Mm-hmm. Um, because fabric can cause irritation as well if it bunches. And so, you know, rather than a tank top, wear a tee. Um, rather than, you know, those little floppy shorts, wear biker shorts. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. All right, moving on to my favorite topic, which is chafing. I struggle with chafing. I um, Last episode that I was on talked about how I most recently have been dealing with butt crack chafing, uh, which I didn't realize was a thing, but apparently I now uh, use a chafe stick on my butt before every single long run. Uh, so I filled this question from Kimberly. Kimberly wrote, training for my last marathon, I chafed so badly on my back that I now have scars. Any suggestions for helping minimize their appearance? Yeah. Yeah, so back is not a usual place to chafe unless, of course, she was wearing a fanny pack or a water bottle or something that was mm-hmm. rubbing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, chafing because there's nothing else really rubbing on your back unless it's around the bra. Mm-hmm. So any place where there is any kind of friction or irritation, you can potentially get chafing. And really, what is it? It's irritation of the skin, usually from rubbing. That, you know, skin really functions, I think of skin as like saran wrap. It is our barrier and protects our insides from the outside world, from bacteria, yeast, everything, and keeps our blood inside, our bones, everything else inside. (laughs) It's like saran wrap. And so when that saran wrap is compromised, like you've taken little fingernails and poked through your saran wrap covering your bowl of onions, your refrigerator smells like <laughs> onions. And so that's kind of what happens when your skin chafes, you, your skin gets irritated and it's not really functioning as a skin barrier. So that's why it actually feels almost like a sunburn. 
mm. when you have those areas. And so, you know, obviously, if you chafe, the last thing you want to do is jump in a hot shower because it's not going to feel good. <laughs> so, you know, I would make probably dial it down, take a cooler shower. Vaseline will be your friend. Any kind of moisturizer, keep things on the cooler side. Um, and then figure out what it was that bothered your skin and fix that. So sometimes it can be the new tag on, you know, a T-shirt or your bra just wasn't fitting right. So you got to fix it. So well, that, that's interesting that you bring up the um, take a cooler shower because on our we have a ancillary show called AMR Answers and somebody was asking why is it when you hop into a shower it hurts so badly where you chafed but then she wanted to know why that pain diminishes so we we gave the advice to take a cooler shower but but Dr Jackson can you can you explain why it is that it doesn't hurt for the whole time you're in the shower like you know what I'm saying yeah so initially. Like our nerve endings are sensitized with any kind of irritation and very commonly, I mean, like with people who've got urticaria or hives or any kind of itchy condition, hot showers feel great, right? They're relaxing, which is why a lot of people like to take them. But the hot water is also a um, distractor. And so it's giving, giving your nerve endings a different sensation so that your skin nerve endings are like, oh, well, what's this hot thing going on over here? I don't, I'm not worried so much about that burning that I had an hour ago, but now like, let me figure out what this hot stuff is going on. Uh-huh. And so it's almost like your, your, um, your nerve endings are distracted by the heat and they forget the burn. Okay. And so that's what happens over time. And But with that said, anytime you are uncomfortable, if you've got a sunburn, if you've got a shape, you're always better cool. Cool will calm you down and mm-hmm. be more comforting. Now, it doesn't have to be ice cold. It just has to be like warm. I mean, not super, no steam in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be much more comfortable for you. All right. Okay. I like that. Um, you do a good job of making scientific things very approachable mm-hmm. and understandable. Thank you. Uh, um, so um, moving on, sunscreen, dare I say, is a hot topic for our crowd. Um, April asks, how important is sunscreen when we're running at dawn and the sun is just coming up? Well, <laughs> I always tell everyone, just because then you don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um if you are going to be out there and there's sunlight in the sky, even if you didn't start out and, you know, you're going to run through the sunrise, you got some sun exposure. Mm. So, you know, the sunscreen is such a huge conversation. And um, let me first address an elephant in the room about vitamin D deficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, because everybody likes to blame dermatologists for the epidemic of vitamin D deficiency <laughs> because we make everybody wear sunscreen. It's a conspiracy. Um, uh-huh. I would, <laughs> right? It's a conspiracy, right? And so with vitamin D, um, the amount of sun exposure, because our skin does participate in the production of vitamin D, but the amount of sun exposure that we actually need is probably about five to ten minutes of unprotected sun exposure. So that basically means if you're going to drive to work with a short sleeve shirt on, you're good. Mm. Um our bodies don't store vitamin D, so that's why going to the beach or going to a tanning salon is not ever going to increase your vitamin D level. And there are a lot of other reasons why people may be vitamin D deficient. So let's just kind of put that vitamin D thing away. Um, but as far as the sunscreen, we know that 
significant exposure to sun puts you at risk for skin cancer. Most people who run, particularly run long distance, it's not, you know, you're out there for a very long time, both in, I mean, I mean, I'm not from Kenya, so, but, you know, I'm out there for a long time. <laughs> but, you know, even with your training period, it's months that you're training. And so you do this year after year after year, and it's really cumulative effect of sun since you were a little kid. And just like we talk about smokers, you know, it's the pack years of smoking that puts you at risk for lung cancer. It's really the sun exposure years. So you start running track when you're in high school. You end up transitioning to running marathons in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. You got 40 years of sun exposure. Your risk of getting skin cancer is huge. And so wearing sunscreen is part of that protective mechanism. You know, certainly if you don't like sunscreen and there's some people who just for whatever reason won't wear it, then your other sun protective measures would include keeping your shirt on, Mm -hmm. making sure that, again, more coverage. So rather than wearing a tank, you wear a tee or or a long sleeve shirt, you wear a hat that's going to cover your forehead and your ears. You, you know, wear probably longer shorts. You minimize the amount of skin that is actually exposed to the sun because if you add all of that up, that's where you're going to be more at risk. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. I need to wear more sunscreen. I know, man. That was, that was, that, <laughs> that was, was some straight sp- talk. That was you, scared yeah, straight. I was going to mm-hmm. say, you spoke straight to my soul. <laughs> um, which leads us actually to Laura's question. She asks, are there any recommendation for a sunscreen that will provide effective SPF coverage and remain on her sweaty face for the duration of a half marathon? Um, the short answer is no. Well, I guess the other answer is how long do you, how fast do you run? <laughs> so I love um, that Nope. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here's the thing about sunscreen. Poorly understood, misunderstood. We're going to go through this. Easy breezy. So there are sunscreen is sort of a generic term for some sort of cream or potion that you put on to protect you from the sun. You have physical sunscreens and um, chemical sunscreens. Physical sunscreens tend to be zinc oxide, titanium dioxide. In the olden days, it's what the lifeguards wore, that kind of white stuff on their nose. Mm-hmm. Over the years, it's become micronized, so it's actually, you know, you don't have to walk around looking like a, a um, lifeguard. It's, you know, they're actually pretty elegant formulations. Sunscreens, the physical ones, act just like they sound. They are a physical blocker from the sun's rays to penetrate through your skin. The chemical um, sunblockers are almost like little Pac-Man, like, you know, that game Pac-Man. And so they will come and chew up the the damage that the rays are giving to your skin. So the two functions, both physical blocker and sort of the Pac-Man mechanism, work best together. So the best sunscreens are a combination of physical and chemical. There are some people who want to avoid chemicals, so obviously you go with the physical. The other thing that I will say is the best sunscreen for you is the one that you're going to use. So, you know, sometimes you split hairs too much and you end up talking yourself out of wearing a sunscreen. Well, the other answer is no one ever died from wearing sunscreen. People die from skin cancer every day. So, you know, if you enjoy running, you're doing a great thing for your body, but you're also putting yourself at increased lifetime risk of skin cancer. And wear some sunscreen. (laughs) So the numbers, the SPF, that means sun protection factor, what that means 
is how long you are going to be able to stay out in the sun before you get the damage. And so for easy math, let's say if you've got very, very fair skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, you go out in the sun in a minute and you're going to sunburn, then if you put on an SPF 30, that means you can stay out for 30 minutes to still get the same amount of damage. So you're still going to get it, get it. It's going to take that much longer. And so the other pieces of sort of this global protection are making sure that you prove that you choose an appropriate sunscreen with an SPF. Now, SPF only bears relevance to UVB. There's UVA and UVC that play a role in skin cancer. There is no rating system for UVA. And so you cannot have a false sense of security that I've got my SPF 45 and I'm good. I'm like, well, I don't know. Are you? Is it broad spectrum? Because that's the the word or the thing that you need to look for to say that it incorporates UVA protection. It will either say straight out that it's UVA, UVB protection, or it will say broad spectrum. But know again that SPF only bears reference to UVB protection. So the other thing is making sure that you are using enough. And so I have patients say, well, you know, is my sunscreen from last summer still good? And, you know, no, it's not. <laughs> so if you still have sunscreen left from last summer, that means you weren't using it appropriately. Mm. If you have a tube of sunscreen and let's say it's three ounces, you get it from the store, SPF 60, um, you, if you're going to put it on your face, need to use probably about the amount of a quarter to cover your face. Most people don't use that much, but that amount is what was used in the lab to garner mm. the SPF 60 rating. So if you're only using a portion of what you should be using, then you have a portion of the protection. And the other thing that most people fail to do is to reapply. And so in answer to that um, listener's question about getting through a half marathon, well, that's 13.1 miles. And again, it depends how fast you run. <laughs> so if you're going to do that in less than two to three hours, you're probably good. But if you are not going to do that in two or three hours, then you're not. You need to reapply. So is there sunscreen that works then on wet skin? That was a question that we had from Kristen. Like if you're sweating a lot, it's not, obviously I think the importance of sunscreen is huge. And it sounds like that reapplication is key, probably the key part that we're all missing. Mm -hmm. Most of us, yeah. when we're going out for a long run or a race, it's taking more than an hour. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there are, you know, SPF 200s out there these days. So like, what are we doing? What are the best application practices for when we are already wet and sweaty and need to reapply sunscreen? Yeah, great questions. And so um, the labeling of sunscreens has been a great deal of heartache debate and, you know, constant work effort with the American Academy of Dermatology and the FDA. And so we've been working for years actually to simplify and clarify the labeling. And so one thing is the numbers, the, the rating system, the SPF 45, 60, it's confusing. And so going forward at some point, we can't say when, because I don't know when, um, the FDA is going to make it very simple. It's going to be SPF 50 and above and 50 and below. Simple. Okay. So then we know that, you know, some of the difference between SPF 60 and 80, some of it's just marketing, Right because you're not necessarily going to be out there if it takes you like two hours to get a sunburn, you're not going to be out there for 16 hours running. So 
you know, most importantly, making sure that you are using enough. If you're going to be um, out doing a long run and you are very sweaty, the other thing is sweat proof. There's no such thing as sweat proof. There's no such thing as waterproof. You will see some of the labeling, labeling now say sweat resistant, mm. but then there should be a number on there that says sweat resistant for 80 minutes, mm. water resistant for 80 minutes. The labelings have to say that now. So that means it's good for 80 minutes. So you have 80 minutes before you need to reapply. If you are going to be out there longer, then you got to figure it out. And so, you know, sometimes that means having your family members meet you halfway through so they can have the sunscreen. You know, a lot of these training programs now, like Fleet Feet, they have um, aid stations along training runs as, also, as well as the race. And now, thankfully, they're starting to carry some sunscreen so you can oh. reapply and make it easy for you. The other thing that I will mention is there is a capsule called HelioCare. And HelioCare is basically crushed up fern, like the plant. So some scientists made the observation many years ago that fern plants do not burn. Mm -hmm. So why don't we crush it up and make people eat it and they will not burn either. <laughs> so um, it is considered a dietary supplement. It does not carry a labeling from the FDA about being an oral sunscreen. So I can't say that. But what I will say is that I encourage people who are significantly sun exposed or have risk factors for skin cancer to take this. And so I would, um, it's an antioxidant that helps your skin mitigate the damage of UV rays. It is not instead of a sunscreen, it is with in addition to. And so for my runners, my athletes, my kids who are playing soccer, I would encourage you to go ahead and add this into your regimen. You take it before you run, 20 minutes before you run, and it's good for, you know, probably about four to six hours. So that that is something that you can do in addition to help you get through a longer race or a longer run. My dermatologist also recommended that for me, oh. and I took it for a little while because I went to Hawaii and got really bad sun poisoning. Um, and so she recommended also to take it, like, if you know, I'm going to go to a tropical location and just be sitting out on the beach, kind of closer to the sun's rays for a long period of time to take it then too. Wow. I don't know if you'd recommend that as well, but that's what she said to me. Well, I would never recommend anybody go sit out on the beach. Um, well, okay. Good point. Good point. But if you're going to have to be in the sun, yeah. maybe not sitting out on the beach, yeah. but doing something else, uh, yeah. playing pickleball, maybe. <laughs> I have a picture in my office in one of my exam rooms of one of those sun protective tents with my foot sticking out of it. And I point to patients like, that's the dermatologist at the beach. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> what about for your scalp? So I think for me, I am black and I wear my hair in cornrows and in braids. And I certainly notice that my scalp is much more fair complected than my face. Um, and so yep. I'm curious, you know, should I be putting sunscreen on my head? If you are have light skin and fine hair, should you be putting it on your scalp? Like what's the situation when it comes to your hair and your head? Yeah, I would always, well, I mean, you're better off just wearing a hat um, mm. because absolutely one of, you know, while women, 
tend to not get a lot of sunscreens, excuse me, skin cancer statistically on their scalp because they have more hair than men do. Where they will get it is in their part. You will get a sunburn in your part. So I would absolutely encourage you if you're going to wear your hair in braids with sort of scalp obviously showing, you can get one of those spray sunscreens, just kind of run a little bit of it through your hair. But again, easy and easier just to kind of throw on a hat. Mm. Um, but scalp is actually a very high risk area for skin cancer, particularly for men and particularly for men who um, may be balding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So that leads us to a hair related question. We're leaving sunscreen behind. That was incredibly informative and enlightening. And, and kind of and scary. scary. Yeah, scary, but thank you. Um, so this hair-related question from Courtney, who is curious about ingrown hairs down there. She says they tend to pop up <laughs> when I run after I do some grooming. How do you prevent that? That's back to the lady part. Yeah. <laughs> so um, depends on how you're grooming, but really kind of gets back to the same issue of friction and irritation. And so you know, hair down there is still hair. And if your hair down there is longish, which is probably why you're grooming, mm -hmm. then, you know, hair can get caught. It can get pulled. It can get irritated. And so um, Vaseline, if you're not going to groom, if you're going to wear shorts, particularly, you know, those shorts that have like the little panty liner in it, mm -hmm. um, that often cuts you right where the underwear line is, the bikini mm -hmm. line is. And so, again, probably better to choose something like a biker short that there's nothing going to be sitting right there in your crease. Um, if you are going to wear those type of shorts, I would most definitely put some Vaseline or some other sort of barrier, body glide or any of those things in that um, area as well. So, They're also making shorts um, these days that don't have the liners just for as someone who used to work yeah. in that industry. If you look for training yeah. shorts, training shorts tend to not have the liners. So if you look for a, wove, a stretch woven training short, it is basically a running short without the brief and maybe less pockets, yeah. which again, pros and cons to everything, but just a heads up. And yeah. you would wear those yeah. without underwear? That no, I would stuff? wear underwear oh, okay, okay. of some, ki of yeah, some yeah. kind. Okay, yeah. um, but I think that sometimes those briefs aren't necessarily made for comfort and yes. like less right. friction in that area. Yeah. Um, so I think it right. maybe gives you freedom of choice. And you could wear like a go. biker underneath it yeah. or it kind of depends yeah, yeah. on what you're into. Good but call. just kind of a heads up for folks that walk. If you're in your local sporting goods store, you might find solutions outside of the running area. I said it. I know that's mm -hmm. shocking, but it is true. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Always oh. good to cross pollinate. <laughs> yep. Um, let's talk deodorant. Kathy wants to know about natural deodorant. Is there a brand that actually works and where do we stand on deodorant and its ingredients? She fully expects to sweat and smell when she runs, but when she's just sitting at her computer, the rest of her body is freezing and her armpits are on overdrive. What's up with that? <laughs> well, okay. So there's a difference between a deodorant and an antiperspirant. And deodorant is exactly as it sounds, it deodorizes. So often they're heavy with perfume. Antiperspirants typically have aluminum chloride um, in there that helps to minimize sweat. Um, so natural deodorants, you know, as a dermatologist, I'm often, I always see people when they have problems with it. So I'm, you know, my view of some of these things is skewed because I see what the problems are. 
and often with natural deodorants, um, particularly people who have otherwise sensitive skin, like they've got hay fever, sinus problems, seasonal allergies, I will share with these patients, you and Mother Nature don't get along very well. <laughs> it's pollen. Pollen, you know, plants comes from flowering plants. What do natural products, what are they made of? <laughs> so you and Mother Nature don't get along very well. So you don't necessarily want to put Mother Nature in your armpits. <laughs> so for those patients, I would probably recommend that they go with more of the deodorant that's made for people who have more sensitive skin, like Almay, Dove. Um, there's another brand called Vanna Cream, which has very few ingredients in it. It's one of my favorites for people who got, um, like, they're sort of allergic to everything, including fragrance. That's that's a good one to try. I'm sorry, what Harmony was the name of that? baking soda. Oh, wait, Vanna what was Cream. the Van, V like victory? Uh-huh. Okay, all right. V-A-N-I. And then... And then, oh. so Dove, Dove uh, mm-hmm. makes one for sensitive skin. Um, even Arm & Hammer, they have a deodorant out there, and it's straight-up baking soda. <laughs> so that will help with the deodorant co- component of it as well. Solution um, for everything. But I would... Yeah, I would probably steer a little clear, um, particularly of anything that has botanicals in it, especially if you've got more sensitive skin. Okay. That's great advice. All right, let's wrap this this combo by covering toenails, one of my favorite <laughs> topics. Yeah. Uh, Amy asks, what do we do to save the toenails? Um, I'm pretty for sure she means, you know, they get blood blisters, they get black. I think if you're a runner, you know what I'm talking about. Also, I used to lose my yeah. toenails a lot in soccer. A lot. Um, That's probably because I was getting stepped on. (laughs) But how do we save them? I love that. I just like flash across, save the toenails, like save the whales. Yes, save the toenails. (laughs) Um, Okay, so toenails. Toenails, first and foremost, make sure your shoes fit properly. Um, You know, everybody feels some kind of way about their running shoes. But you, if you have a toenail issue, I would make sure that you are looking or considering shoes that have a little bit of a deeper toe box. Make sure they are also long enough. So generally, running shoes should be probably a half size larger than your street shoe. And then you can also Vaseline your toenails before you put your wicking socks on. Are we sure Vaseline's not like a sponsor up... of this podcast? I know. Because that has been oh my God. for everything. I They're kind of not, love it. But it's this is kind of nice. It's, it's a one-stop shop. Yeah. Just a vat One-stop shop for everything. Vaseline's like, why did the sales of Vaseline suddenly pop up? <laughs> exactly. It's so I have no stock at Vaseline. <laughs> no, right? Um, and it's the Wonder Jelly. It's been around forever. That's why it's been around forever. It's classic. Yeah, just don't eat um, it. Yeah. But, yeah, so again, de- decreasing friction. Yeah. So you can put it on your toes. You can put it between your toes. Wear your wicking socks. Um, that should help. But there's, like, just like you, every time I go over 18 miles, I get a bruise on my toenail. Mm. And it is what it is. And you just get to see the life cycle cycle of the toenail and we all know it's going to grow out now let me just put a pause on that because we want to make sure it grows out mm. um, Bob Marley who was a soccer player who had an issue with his toenail who died of melanoma it was a melanoma on his toenail and so it was thought to be a bruise from his running and soccer injury but it was a melanoma and so to make sure that 
like toenails generally grow a little bit more slowly than fingernails. If you have a bruise in the, the what we call the proximal portion of your toenail, which is the part which is closest to you, not the part that you trim off, it typically takes about three to six months for that part which is closest to you to grow to the edge of your toe, which is what you cut off. Mm -hmm. You should see it progress and move forward. If it does not, and if particularly that closer portion next to you still stays dark, I would probably get that evaluated Mm. because we also know that trauma, chronic trauma, when we ask our bodies to continually heal from something, from some inflammation or irritation, that can also predispose us to certain types of, of cancers. And so, you know, never just assume, oh, it must have just been a running injury, especially if it's not getting better and it's not moving out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say with caution, your toenails should grow out, but, you know, take those other things that we talked about and hopefully that will prevent. That's interesting. That's really uh, aligned with, I think, what sometimes you hear physical therapists and doctors say, like if you have uh, acute or I guess obstacle chronic pain in one area and it's not moving and staying there you need to check it out but if you have general soreness that is kind of generally like when a pain starts to kind of move around or maybe not a pain because certainly there's injuries but like a soreness starts to move as a trainer i'm always like okay good like it's generally good when it starts to move and i feel like that's kind of what you're saying with the toenail like once it starts you can see your body trying to get rid of it it's a good sign when it's just staying your body's consistently having to work on it Mm -hmm. that's a that's a red flag so i have to ask about bob bob marley like is that like dermatology like lore or something i mean that that like is that or is that you know like a case study i'm fascinated by that you know factoid yeah i mean so again i'm probably skewed because this is certainly a conversation that um i have with patients a lot but you know, because we focus on skin cancers, we tend to know, like, who are the celebrities that have had oh, skin cancer? Because okay. sometimes mm. patients, patients are like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And I often bring up Bob Marley because he had brown skin. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the word on the street is that if you've got brown skin, you don't have to worry about sunscreen because you're mm. going to get skin cancer. I'm like, you do. I I've subscribed to that for, I'll admit cancer, it, for a very color. long time. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, I yeah. did not wear sunscreen until I was maybe 26, mm. 27. I mean, recently, yeah. until mm-hmm. I think I woke up and I was like, you are not invincible just because, from skin cancer, just mm-hmm. because you have brown skin. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make up for lost yeah. time here. Mm-hmm. Got some work to do after I've Got listened some- to this podcast. <laughs> Got some work to do. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for really enlightening us on so many topics and for joining us again. And we, as I said, we'll link to your book and um, best of luck with that. And we'll think of you when we slather on repeatedly. Vaseline, Vaseline, of course. When I go to the store immediately after this, depart where we are and go buy Vaseline, I'll think of you for sure. The big old vat of it. You can Mm -hmm. use it for everything. Exactly. Except eating. Yes. All right. Great Great to talk with you again. Thanks for making time. It was great meeting you. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, seriously, scared straight. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm not kidding you. I immediately am going to, I, 
a few things that I took away that I really liked was like what I kind of tell people that like no bra should have a birthday. Like you need uh-huh. to replace your bras. Yeah. Same thing for a sunscreen. No sunscreen should see a sun, the next summer. Like we got to be using more of it. Oh, I think I need to also and, now go around my entire house, the car, and throw all of it out. It's going to break my heart a little bit because of all that packaging. Yeah. But yeah. And then higher numbers. Yeah. She said some really good things about like the U, A, B, the broad spectrum, all that stuff. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You want to slap on some sunscreen and join us on Hilton Head Island on November 3rd? That's when our next running retreat is. It's going to be November 3 to 6. Again, it's on gorgeous Hilton Head Island off the coast of South Carolina. Our hotel is right there on the Atlantic Ocean. Front row seat of beautiful sunrises. We bring in guest presenters. We go on group runs in the flat, hard-packed beach, eat delicious meals, do yoga, hang around fire pits and chat and laugh and have just such a great time. Hilton Head may be our last retreat for the foreseeable future as we're debating pressing pause on our retreats for a bit. So if you've ever contemplated attending an AMR retreat, now is the time to register. Go to anothermotherrunner.com and click on events on the top navigation bar to find all the details and to register. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com and click on events at the top of the homepage. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. Nope, I'm starting over. Okay, this is really going to be it. <laughs> Take three. Oh, goodness. It's like, you know, they say the, the first rule of improv is that there's like no, the answer is never no. Like if yes. someone says something ridiculous, you always just have to roll with it. Yes. I feel like I have, you have to apply that in podcasting. Like you just gotta, I don't know how we got on the topic of politics, but we're just going to keep rolling until we can get off. Right. <laughs> we'll just go one more time around and then I'll get off the, yeah, this, and then this we'll merry-go-round. Yeah, exactly. Oh my exactly. goodness.